So as I mentioned earlier, we were doing a series called Chase the Lion. And this phrase comes uh, in 2 Samuel. Uh, David has a list of mighty men, these characters that uh, pursued their dreams, looked at fear in the face, and did some extraordinary things. And one of those guys' name was Benaiah, and it says that Benaiah uh, chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day uh, and defeated the lion. And so we've kind of just taken that phrase and we're... We're looking at our fears, we're looking at the dreams that God has placed in our heart, uh, and I believe that uh, every one of us in this room is one decision away from a completely different life, that we are one decision away uh, from seeing God do something incredible in us and through us, uh, and he wants to partner with us, uh, but in order to do that, we've got to dream with him. We've got to ask God, what are the dreams you have for me? What do you want me uh, to be doing? Uh, and these dreams take courage. You know, and there's a, I don't know if you've seen the movie, We Bought a Zoo. Has, has anybody seen that movie? Okay, there's a, there's a scene in that movie um, <clears throat> where the, the kid and Matt Damon are sitting there on the floor, and uh, they're talking about this, uh, this, this girl that the kid likes, and he says, you know, sometimes you just got to have some insane courage, 20 seconds of insane courage, and that'll change everything. Some em- embarrassing bravery. I like that phrase, embarrassing bravery. When I was in grade eight, um, I, had this, I had this lion that I was going to chase. And this lion uh, was called getting a girlfriend in grade eight. And I, you know, I just felt like, you know, I'm grade eight. You know, I'm, it's about time I had a girlfriend. Uh, everybody who's cool is doing it. So I'm like, I went to school. I was like, today I'm going to get a girlfriend. And so I went to... There's this really good-looking girl in my class, and I was like, I'm going to ask, you know, maybe she'll take a chance on me. And so I just kind of embarrassing bravery, put myself out there, hey, you want to be my girlfriend? And she said, no. <laughs> but I was determined. I, I came to school that day to get a girlfriend. And so I went to the next girl, and I said, do you want to be my girlfriend? And she said, yes. And so I walked home with a girlfriend on that day in grade eight. That's some embarrassing bravery right there. Sometimes you just got to go for it. Um, And so as we've talked about faith, we've said, we've given four kind of definitions to help us understand what faith is. And the first one is that faith is a willingness to look foolish. And I've done that very well a few times in my life. I think we got them on the the screen there. So number one, faith is a willingness to look foolish. Number two, faith is... Unlearning our fears. Number three, faith is taking the first step before God reveals the second step. And fourth, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So when we think about chasing lions, taking these God-sized leaps, pursuing God-sized dreams, facing our fears, we start to encounter some challenges along the way. And we have to start thinking about what does success even mean? What, what, what is the goal at the end of this? And, and I think sometimes we have some ideas of what success is. And sometimes we think success means seeing that line that we're chasing or that dream come to fruition. But that's actually different than Uh, the biblical definition of success, I believe. In God's kingdom, the outcome isn't actually the issue. Success isn't winning or losing. 
Success is actually obeying. And so I want to give a couple of definitions of what I think are uh, biblical definitions of success. That uh, first, success is when you obey what God's telling you to do. Pretty simple. You obey what God's telling you to do. God doesn't always call us to win. Sometimes he calls us to try. I know if you're like me and you hear somebody say that, you're like, that's what losers say. Um, But God doesn't always call us to win. Sometimes he just calls us to try. And either way, if success is obedience, it doesn't matter what the result is. Whatever we do that's taking a faith step in what God's asking us to do is something that will glorify God. Uh, My boys are playing soccer right now. And uh, I told a bit of a soccer story last week, another one this week. I was watching a game, and, uh, and my oldest son was tired, and my youngest and my middle son was daydreaming. They're both spang- playing on the same team. My middle son daydreams a lot. Um, and I was standing watching them, and I, I'm just, I start yelling at them. I'm like, come on. And my, my oldest son's just like walking around. My, younger, my middle son is actually picking skin off his hands. He's standing there picking skin off his hands, and the play's going this way. He's not, even, he's not even looking at the ball. And then he's looking at the sky, and I'm like, come on. And I'm, I'm yelling from the side. And I, after the game, I actually had to apologize to the other parents. I'm like, I'm sorry for, um, you know, I'm one of those parents. But uh, I'm only yelling at my kids. That's okay. And... And I was so frustrated, and I, and I got the boys together after the game, and, and I said, you know, I, do not, I, do not, I don't spend this much money, and I actually quoted how much money we're spending on soccer. I don't spend this much money to come and watch you do nothing. I don't. It's like, I don't care. I said, I don't care if you score. I don't care if you make a mistake. I don't care if you never do anything right. But what I do care about is that you try. I was like, I can't stand here and watch you not try. If you're not going to try, and I, and I basically lit into them for about 10 minutes. I was so, so frustrated. Lisa's waiting in the van. They, the boys come in the van. They're crying, and they're all dejected. <laughs> but I, I'd had enough. I just I couldn't handle it. And, uh, and the next game, they, they went out. They didn't score a goal. You know, they made lots of mistakes. Uh, but after the game, I pulled them together, and I said, you guys, that was the best game I've ever seen you play. And they're like, what? I was like, we didn't even score. I was like, I, I didn't do this. I was like, yeah, but you, the effort, the trying, it was all there, and that's exactly what I was talking about last time. And so they completely redeemed themselves. But sometimes I feel like that's what, what God is saying to us. It's like you're worried about the results, you're worried about winning, but that's actually not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to try. I'm asking you to risk. I'm asking you not to worry about failure. I just want you to be obedient to what I'm asking you to do. And David's mighty men were these type of guys. They were the type of guys that took risks. They were the type of guys that dreamed big dreams. And yeah, when we look at 2 Samuel chapter 23, you see like this list of amazing things that these guys do. And we talked about some of them. How Benaiah chased and killed this lion. How Josheb beat 800 to 1 odds. How Eliezer fought till his hand rose to the sword, and he won. But things didn't always look like success for these guys. And what we haven't talked about yet is where did David's mighty men come from? They actually came from a moment that we would look, from the outside looking in, we would say that was not success. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 22, I think we have the verse on the screen here. It says this. So this is long before 
We get to 2 Samuel, we read about David's money men. 1 Samuel 22 says, So David left Gath and escaped the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming. Men who were in trouble or in debt who were just discontented. Read that line with me. Men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. What was David doing in the cave? David was hiding in the cave. The cave of Adullam was a dark place. It was a difficult time. But that's where trust was tempered, where faith was forged. That's where David discovered what it meant to give God a sacrifice of praise. The the cave at Adullam was a place where God met David and where David met God in a whole new way. And tough times will do that. And I've titled this, this talk this morning, the, the Cave Sessions, because I believe that this time where David was hiding in the wilderness, where he was afraid of his life, was actually the time where God forged him for his de- destiny. He, he prepared him for his destiny. It, what, the cave wasn't a five-star resort, it was a last resort. And the hardest part of any dream, when you pursue any dream, is this period of time that I'll refer to as the holding pattern. It was 25 years between God's promise to Abraham and the birth of Isaac. It was 13 years between Joseph's dream and the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. If you know that story, you know how many ups and downs there was in Joseph's story. It was 40 years between Moses' dream of delivering Israel in the Exodus. So if you dare to dream big, you have to think long. So it was a It was an awesome day, if you know the story, when David was anointed by Samuel that he was going to be the next king of Israel. But David didn't become king the next day. David was likely anointed while he was still a teenager, and he didn't become king until the age of 30. So at that 15-ish period of time, you got to wonder what was going through David's mind when he was running for his life in the wilderness from King Saul at the time. What was going through his mind? But I believe it was the decisions that David made when nobody was looking that prepared him for his destiny. It was his integrity that prepared him for his destiny. And there was a time, multiple times, when Saul was pursuing David and David actually had the chance to kill Saul and David chose not to do it. Killing Goliath was an epic act of bravery when David was young, but not killing Saul was an epic epic act of integrity. I think when we look back on our life, we'll definitely celebrate our successes. But it'll be those cave sessions that are going to define who we are. If you're in the cave at Adullam, give God the sacrifice of praise. It's an opportunity to prove your integrity. When David was in the cave, he was hiding from King Saul. Saul was a tyrant, and so Saul had kind of lost his mind a little bit along the way. He was a man called by God, but he buckled under the pressure of being king because of his own insecurities. He was not secure in who he was, and he took shortcuts along the way, and eventually his heart turned hard before God. In, uh, in the book, Chase the Lion, written by Mark Batterson, Mark Batterson writes this, and I just want to read a segment here. It says, around the turn of the 20th century, Alfred Adler proposed the counterintuitive theory of compensation. 
Adler believed that perceived disadvantages often proved to be well-disguised advantages because they forced us to develop attitudes and abilities that would have otherwise gone undiscovered. It's only as we compensate for those disadvantages that we discover our greatest gifts. 70% of the art students Adler studied had optical anomalies. He observed that some of history's greatest composers, Mozart and Beethoven being among them, had degenerative traces in their ears. And he cited a multiplicity of other examples from a wide variety of vocations of those who leveraged their weaknesses by discovering new strengths. Adler concluded that perceived disadvantages such as birth defects, physical ailments, and poverty can be springboards to success, and that success is not achieved in spite of those perceived disadvantages. It's often in achieved because of them. The subsequent studies have added credibility to Adler's theory. In one study of small business owners, for example, 35% were self-identified dyslexics. Well, none of us would wish dyslexia on our children because of the academic challenge that comes with it. That disadvantage forced a group of entrepreneurs to cultivate a different skill set. Some of them became more proficient at oral communication because reading was so difficult. Others learned to rely on well-developed social skills to compensate for the challenges they faced in the classroom. And all of them cultivated a work ethic that might have remained dormant if reading had become easy for them. theory of compensation. And often we look at our disadvantages as things that are preventing us from our dreams, from the goals, from our destiny, but it might very well be those things that propel us towards it. Saul slept in the palace while David's band of brothers that we read about slept in a cave. Saul's army was well equipped and David's arm, army weren't. And we know that even by reading the story of the, the mighty men because Benai had to steal the spear from his enemy before he killed him. And while Saul's army had food provided for them, David's army had to hunt and kill everything they ate. Those disadvantages developed skills in David's mighty men that they didn't know they had, so they had to work harder, grow stronger, and be smarter, and their disadvantage actually became their advantage. You know, I've told this, I've told this before, you know, but when I was in, uh, when I was in grade 10, I failed every important class that you, had to, uh, that you had to pass, so math and English and science and all that really good, important things. I did really good at arts and band and phys ed, uh, hit it out of the park with those, uh, but somehow my principal wasn't impressed with that. Um, the following year, as the, you know, the teachers and the principal was trying to figure out you know, why was I struggling so much in school? Instead of going to math class, I actually met with a counselor every math class. Um, some, for some reason, they thought that was helping me. I was just ecstatic that I didn't have to go to math class. Uh, but I met with a counselor every math class, uh, and they would assess me, and I'd have to do, like, uh, puzzles and IQ tests, and they were trying to figure out, you know, why uh, was Matt so far behind uh, his, uh, the, his classmates. You know, eventually I did graduate. Uh, you'll be glad to know that. And I went to college, and I had a, the minimum GPA, I had just enough GPA that I could still play basketball. Uh, and I graduated, and I stumbled into an internship uh, here at SunWest. Uh, and I remember in my first year of 
internship, I got to do a sermon at Wood Green Presbyterian Church at a deep stream, my very first sermon. So here I am, you know, someone who has never really done well at school, and I'm put in this position that, hey, I get to actually teach people. People are going to listen to me, and I'm, gonna have, I'm supposed to have something important to say to them. Uh, and so I risked, and I went after that line, and I was scared to death, and I remember, like, I just haven't about to have a heart attack before I went up on stage. Um, and, but I just felt like God was saying, do it. And so I did it. And then right after my sermon, I would someone that I was on staff with at, a time, uh, at the time, and he came up to me with a piece of paper, uh, and the first thing he said to me was 51. And I was like, 51 what? He's like, you said you said, um, 51 times when you were talking, and it was so annoying and distracting. And I was like, ah. So you, know, you can imagine, like, these insecurities from, you know, from high school, from college, not being, doing very well in school. And then he says something like that to you, and it's, you know, and a part of you just wants to throw in the towel. Uh, but I couldn't do it because I felt like God was calling me. And uh, I just kept pushing myself uh, to teach and to, to preach and to lead. And, uh, and I, would, I would tell you, like, even to this day, there's still fears that I have to fight in order to get on stage to, to lead and to te- teach and to preach. There's still fears that I have. You know, there's still this voice in the back of my head that says, you know, what if people find out that you're an imposter, that you're not really as smart as you're pretending to be? I'll tell you right away, I'm not very smart. Um, But I believe that God's called me. And so we push through the fear when God calls us to something. A willingness to put ourselves out there, to risk, to be foolish. And I believe that destiny isn't revealed on the sunny days. It's usually revealed on the snowy days when you find yourself in a pit with a lion. And you have the decision whether to run in fear or to push through. Destiny isn't revealed in your natural gifts and abilities. It's also revealed in the compensatory skills you have, the things that, the things you've had to develop because you're compensating. When you're up against the lion, we must remember that not only is the lion of Judah behind us, he's also the lion of jujitsu. You could tweet that. Not only do I have the lion of Judah behind me, I have the lion of jujitsu. And what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what that means. Jujitsu can be translated to, the first part, Jew, can be translated to mean gentle, soft, supple, flexible, pliable, yielding, and jutsu, sorry, jujitsu, uh, represents manipulating the opponent's force against himself rather than confronting it with one's own force. Jujitsu developed in combat uh, against the samurais as a method for defeating an armed and armored opponent in which one uses no weapon And these techniques were developed around the principle of using the attacker's energy against them rather than directly opposing it. How cool is that? So I believe that the cross was God's greatest move, jujitsu move. You know, where the enemy came at Jesus, got him on the cross, and thought he had won. And then three days later, God was like, hey, thanks for helping me out with that. Jesus resurrected. The enemy threw all he had at Jesus, and God used it for good. In fact, if you look through every hero story in Scripture, what you'll find is this jiu-jitsu move. 
Things like the cave sessions where, where something looks like the enemy is winning, but God actually uses it for good, for his glory. And I believe that everything in your past is a preparation for something in your future and that God wastes nothing. God wants to redeem every attack of the enemy that's waged against you and me. God will use it for good. What does the scripture say? What's that verse? All things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So you want God to do some jujitsu in your life, love God, and follow his purposes in your life. Then there's nothing in your past that will be wasted. God will use it for good. God, so don't waste suffering. Don't waste failure. Don't waste disappointment. Don't waste cancer. Don't waste your divorce. Don't waste a crisis. God actually wants to recycle all of those things and use it for his purpose to glorify himself. And the story of Joseph that I mentioned earlier, you know, he goes through all these ups and downs and you wonder how the dream that Joseph had was going to be come to fruition. And finally, at the end of the story, you know, Joseph's brothers are before him because they played a role in uh, basically pushing Joseph down and making it very difficult for him. And they came to apologize. And Joseph says, don't worry about it because you intended to harm me. This is Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Summary, God did some sweet jujitsu. And what was done to harm me is actually being used now for the glory of God. So 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. How does this work? How do you move from fear and timidity to living a life of power, love, and self-discipline. And I want to share a short story or just a short example from Scripture in Luke chapter 3 and 4. In Luke chapter 3, it's the baptism of Jesus. Jesus gets baptized, and God the Father speaks, and he says, what this is, my son, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. This is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. And then what does it say? It says, immediately after, the Spirit led Jesus to a place of comfort, security, safety. Is that what happened? No. Immediately after, the Spirit of God led Jesus to where? The wilderness, the desert, to be tempted by the devil. God doesn't save us for comfort. He actually saves us to be dangerous. So God leads Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And then the devil tempts Jesus. And two out of the three temptations that the devil gives Jesus start with this. If, if you are the son of God, then do this. If you're the son of God, then do this. And the place that Satan tempts Jesus is the place that he tempts every single one of us. It starts with our identity. That at the baptism of Jesus, 
Jesus received identity from the Father. This is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Jesus goes into the wilderness secure in the identity of the Father that he is a son, God's son. And so when the enemy comes and says, if Jesus is actually able to completely dispel the attack of the enemy because he's secure in his identity. And I believe that as Jesus stayed obedient to God in the wilderness, okay, so Jesus understands the love of the Father, and then he lives in self-discipline in the wilderness, lives in integrity, goes through a test, and during that testing period, he's proven to be faithful. And then it says in Luke chapter 4, I believe verse 13, that he walked out of the wilderness in the, anybody know? The power, the power of the Spirit. And I believe this is the same pattern for every single one of us. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. It starts with love. It actually starts with understanding your identity with the Father. And we talked about this in the first week, that, you know, how do we get over the fear of failure? What's well, actually failing and realizing that your worth and your identity doesn't come from succeeding and winning. So some of us just need to risk and fail and realize that God still loves us and that his acceptance of us isn't dependent on what, what we perceive as success. His acceptance isn't dependent on what we perceive as success. And then there'll be cave sessions. There'll be these moments in your life where you're challenged and you have to decide whether you're going to walk with integrity and faith or you're going to give in. And Jesus was faithful in that period, and because of that, he walks out in the power of the Spirit. So there's some of you this morning that you're living in this if land. And God wants to move you to is. He wants you to move you to this place of security and identity. And maybe for you, the line that you need to chase this morning is actually the line that says, God, you're God and I'm not. I want my identity to be found as a son or a daughter of God. And I want you to take leadership, be Lord of my life. That's the first step. Maybe for you, that's the step that God wants you to take this morning. Maybe for some of us, we've done that, but we're actually in the season where we need to be walk with integrity. We need to prove ourselves faithful. Maybe find yourself in a cave season. God's saying, will you be faithful? Will you walk with integrity? Will you still follow me when things aren't easy? And then I believe as we do that, that we will begin to walk in the power of the Spirit. Okay, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. You guys doing okay? You still with me? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in 
Jerusalem, throughout where? Judea, in Samaria, and where? To the ends of the earth. So Jesus gives this commission to his followers. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And a few weeks ago, uh, in a sermon titled Interpretation Needed, I talked about Pentecost, which happens in the next chapter, where the Spirit of God comes down and he unites the people together, uh, not based on uniformity, but in spite of their differences of different language, based on the Lordship of Jesus and his Spirit that binds them together. This powerful event that happens in, in Acts chapter 2. And so the power of God comes down through the Spirit of God. And there's some really amazing things that happen in the next few chapters. So if you read through Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, you'll read, you'll read some really, really amazing things. But what you'll notice if you pay attention is that the believers stay in Jerusalem. They don't move. Okay, so let's, let's review here for a second. I made the sign myself. I know you're wondering where I'm going with this, but it, it'll pay off. Just stick with me. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You're going to be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. God gives them the Spirit. They stick around Jerusalem. And then we get to Acts 8, verse 1. And at the beginning of Acts verse 8, verse 1, it says that, let's, let's look at it here. We're just going to read the first part. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. Okay, stop there. This is what I'd call a cave session. That God gave this dream. This is God's dream for the church, that you're going to be witnesses. This is what you're going to do. And people were excited, and then they ran into opposition. Acts 8, verse 1. The attack of the enemy. Persecution of the church. And then what does it say after that? And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of where? Judea and Samaria. Jiu-jitsu. Huh? I believe that God takes our eight one moments and fulfills our one eight purposes through those moments. I believe that God takes the attacks that the enemy sends towards us and he actually performs jujitsu and it becomes the very thing that fulfills the mission that God gave us. I believe in a sovereignty of God that doesn't I don't believe that God persecuted the church, but I believe that God is so sovereign and so big that he uses whatever comes at us in the end to use towards his purposes for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purposes. I don't know what your cave session is, what your 8-1 moment is, what your crisis is, what your challenge is. I don't know what your story is, but I know that God's bigger than it. And I believe that as we 
chase lines, as we face our fears, as we walk in integrity, that we're going to see God move in powerful ways. And he's going to redeem it in a way that we never thought was possible, as we talked about last week, in ways that we couldn't even imagine. I'm going to invite you to stand. I believe, as we chatted about last week, and if you, if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it, that God has a purpose and a call and a mission for SunWest Church. That this potential has, just, has been bubbling under the surface for a long time. I do believe that we've gone through an Acts 8-1 season. But yet, I don't know about you, I, I, I can sense that God is actually flipping our Acts 8-1 moment into an Acts 1-8 moment. I believe that God is actually redeeming and reigniting and resending us. You know, I think the enemy had an attack maybe for us as a body, and we've, and God, as we love Him, as we walk with integrity, as we worship Him, flips it to an Acts 1 8 moment. And I don't think that it. We don't, that doesn't happen without doing it individually. And I've talked about this a few times, that what, what is, how does a corporate body actually change from an 8-1 moment to a 1-8 moment? It's when individuals actually choose to chase lions. We can chase lions corporately when we individually start to chase lions. They're, they're, they're connected. Uh, and I've been so encouraged in this series as I've started to hear the different lines that people are, individuals are chasing. But what I sense God doing on a corporate level is that God is actually shifting and changing what's happening here as a community as we take individual ownership to chase our own lines. And so as we sing this last song together, um, I want you to close your eyes. And I, I'm just going to pray before we sing. Uh, and I'm going to invite you to respond uh, this morning and two responses if if you have an axe if, you, if you're going through this 8-1 moment individually you find yourself in a cave session where you're feeling attacked by the enemy uh, we want to just uh, pray victory over that and put a stake in the ground and say that God doesn't waste anything and that the very thing that's happening to you actually will be the very thing that God uses to bring glory to himself. And so if you find yourself in that place this morning, I'm going to actually invite you to come to the front during the last worship song. And we're going we're gonna to worship with those at the front that want to respond in that way. And we're going to pray for you. And so, you know, this might be a chase the line moment right now for you, and that's totally okay. Um, but if you're in a, if you find yourself in a, cave session right now, I'm, I'm going to invite you right now just to come forward.
I'm just going to pray for these folks at the front, and then I'm, I got one more invitation for us. Um, Father, we just uh, lift up our brothers and sisters here um, that find themselves facing challenges, hardships. Um, and so, Lord, we just pray that you would give them courage, Lord, that you would... Uh, that you would just rise up within them, Lord, give them strength to walk with integrity and self-discipline in the midst of where they find themselves. Lord, we believe that you are a God that redeems, that performs jujitsu as the uh, attacks of the enemy come against us. And Lord, we pray that you would flip the script. Lord, that these uh, eight one moments would actually become one eight fulfillments. Lord, that you would accomplish your purposes and your mission uh, through these men and women, women that are desiring to follow you. Uh, so we just pray victory, and we thank you that the victory is already won because of what you've done on the cross. And so I pray, Lord, in light of that, we would we would live courageous and fearless lives. In Jesus' name. And I'm going to invite more of you forward. If you if you just want to. Um, I mentioned the corporate piece. Um, I believe that, that God wants to push SunWest back to our mission. You know, I talked about that mission last week too. Uh, you know, our mission statement is to guide all people into a lifelong, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to see lost people come to know Jesus. We want, us, we want to be a church that equips and releases people into their callings and their destinies to chase lions. You know, we believe that God wants us to see individual lives transformed, but also to see communities transformed. I even talked last week about this potential of uh, the building uh, that's, that I would invite you to continue to pray and fast. Join me in doing that uh, as, as there's this thing, right, this line right in front of us that just kind of appeared. And in spite of like this 8-1 season, uh, I believe that God wants to do a 1-8 thing. And, and what he put in our hearts as a church years ago, he's actually going to flip this season and to do something more than we could ask or imagine. Um, and would you believe that with me? And would you pray to that end with me? Uh, and if, if you would do so, I would invite you to actually come forward. I know we don't have tons of space at the front, um, but we got nooks and crannies here at the front. And just as a way of responding and saying, God, I believe that you got something for this church and we're claiming victory and we know that whatever the enemy has done, we're actually flipping it. And we want to see you do something incredible, not for us, but for your glory. And so if you're in that place, I just invite you forward. And the band's going to lead us as we worship together. And then I'll come and close. Let's pray. If Father, we just... Um, Lord, we agree with the song that you would lead us to where our trust is without borders, that we would walk on waters wherever you would call us. Lord, that you would do more than we ask or imagine. Um, God, we thank you for what you've done on the cross. We thank you that this is something that is finished, that it's completed, and that we get to walk in the reality of that. So Lord, I pray that we wouldn't fall into the schemes of the enemy that tries to convince us that we're on a losing side, that our identity isn't secure, that we have something to prove. Lord, we rest in the reality of what you've done. 
Lord, we pray uh, as a community, God, that you would flip the script. Lord, that your mission that you planted in our hearts 22 years ago, uh, that there would be fruit that would come out of that in this next season. And Lord, we thank you for these, the cave sessions that we've had because I believe that, Lord, it's formed, it's brought us together, that it's formed something in us and, uh, and that that's going to bear fruit in the future, Lord. And so we just stand in faith and we believe for that in Jesus' name. And we just say yes to that. Amen.